Hi, this is Jeff Davis. I spent many years just down the road playing rock and roll along the lakefront in Chicago at WLS Music Radio. This year's a banner year for Radio Centennials. That's why I'm happy to wish my brothers and sisters in radio a heartfelt 100th anniversary at 1440 WROK in Rockford, Illinois. Sometimes people just need a really good reason to get back together and enjoy each other. This is one of those occasions. Getting behind the microphone again and sharing those seldom told tales is a special feeling these folks didn't want to pass up. The studio is filled with decades of photos, bumper stickers, buttons, albums, t-shirts, jackets, original signs, and well-deserved industry awards. Here's to WROK's 100 years of broadcasting in Northern Illinois and Southern Wisconsin. And now, more radio stories between old friends on another episode of the Storyteller Studio. We're back at the Storyteller Studio, and this time it's a little on the weird side for me because I'm sitting across the table from Ken DeCoster, and Ken is usually the one that's doing the interviews. Ken, I am so glad you came because you have so much history with the radio station. Thank you. I'm very excited to talk about WROK and WZOK back when uh, I was there in the 80s and early to mid-90s because the memories are so plentiful and, for the most part, they're wonderful memories. We were very fortunate to work at a great company uh, led by Vern Nolte. I look back on those days with with pleasure and uh, with joy, really. We took probably 30 to 40 minutes Mm -hmm. when Ken came here, Mm -hmm. just going through the different photos and T-shirts and stuff like that. You could physically see the memories come back at you just flooding based on what you just said. And the talent that came through that radio station was insane. That's what's so cool about doing this because it sparks all those stories and all those memories. When did you start? June 21st, 1982. And when did you leave ROK? I believe it was November 5th of 1995. So I was there about 13 years and five months or so. And who hired you? Bob Pressman was the news director at the time. Mm -hmm. So Bob took me out to lunch as kind of the informal interview and we talked and we we hit it off. Bob, uh, I worked for Bob when he was news director and after he left uh, the radio business, Bob and I became great friends and Bob is still a dear friend to me all these years later. After I had the lunch with Bob, I met with Dave Salisbury, who I think had the final say in in hiring me. Uh, Keith Larson had left the WROK News Department, and Wes Bleed was promoted to Keith's job uh, of covering the courthouse, and uh, I was hired as the afternoon and evening news reporter slash anchor in June of 1982, and... uh, uh, was there for 13 years or so. Wow. Yeah. Did you remember ever having to submit an audition tape or a demo tape? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I remember okay. very clearly putting together an audition tape that I believe I forwarded to uh, to Bob. And at the time, the news department consisted of Bob was the news director and Fred Spear was the police and fire reporter. Yeah. Um, John Strandon covered City Hall. Uh, Wes was covering uh, the county board and the school board at that time, and then he was uh, promoted to uh, to just doing the regular day shift, and then I came in and did the afternoon and night shift for about a year and a half or so. And wow. ROK at that time, 
Bill Phillips was doing mornings, Ron Jordan was doing middays, Doug McDuff was doing afternoons, Kelly Ryan was doing nights, and Bobby B. Soder was doing overnights. I was thrilled to be part of that station, that team. I had been in town for about a year working for Triple R Radio, WRRR, 1330 AM, which I think several people who then joined WROK worked there to kind of get their start. Uh, but I remember when working at WRRR, just monitoring WROK all the time. Did you know Howard Miller? I did not. By the time I joined Triple R in April of 1981, Howard had sold the station to Century Broadcasting, and uh, Century Broadcasting was uh, headquartered in Stevens Point, Wisconsin. Uh, Howard had sold the station, I want to say, 1980 or so. I certainly knew of Howard Miller, but never knew him. Wow. You know, uh, when I was telling Liz that I found a bunch of reel-to-reels and I've started digitizing them and stuff like that, I cannot remember when I ran into your wife and your girls here at Edgebrook one yeah. time. Mm -hmm. I can't. I mentioned to her, but I can't remember if I've done it or not, giving you a digital air check of your newscast from 1986. You did. Did yes. I? Okay. Right. I think it's sort of weird on the things that we kept. Why that newscast? Why that day? Out of Strandon, not that I don't have things on Strandon, but Fred and Bob and all mm. them, why did I have a full newscast of Ken DeCoster? I have no clue. Nor do I, Tim. No. Why, why keep something so worthless? <laughs> hey. But, and, it, and it probably wasn't because of the news content for that day, you know, because it was just sort of every yeah, just, just normal random, stuff. Random, random day. I think I'm just a pack, right, of audio yeah, stuff. Right. I think that's probably yeah. it. <laughs> It's 1130 at WROK Rockford from our newsroom, Ken DeCoster. Tim, City Administrator John Phillips is leaving Rockford to become city manager in Rock Island, Illinois. Phillips has been Mayor McNamara's right-hand man since 1981 and will be paid $53,000 a year in Rock Island beginning the first of next year. Mayor McNamara says he's thrilled for Phillips and calls the move a great opportunity. A United Bank of Illinois official is confirming his bank and five other United Banks in this area are being placed up for sale by their Peoria-based holding company, Midwest Financial Group. While the six banks are on the market, there is no deal imminent. A Shiite Muslim group in Beirut, Lebanon, says it will freeze some French hostages later today. The Revolutionary Justice Organization has issued a statement saying Syria's efforts helped lead to the impending release of the hostages. The common market has agreed to punish Syria for its alleged sponsorship of terrorism. The package of sanctions includes an arms embargo. The head of the National Conference of Catholic Bishops is warning of what he calls dangerous disaffection between the Vatican and parts of the church in this country. He is calling for face-to-face -face talks before the Pope's visit to the U.S. next year. Iceland's whaling industry has been crippled by sabotage. The nation's only plant that processes whale byproducts was severely damaged. A U.S.-based anti-whaling group claims responsibility for that attack and the sinking of two of Iceland's four whaling boats. Our next news Coming up at noon here on WROK, on Wall Street at this hour, the Dow Jones 30 industrials are down more than three points at 1883.30.
WROK Weather Watch forecast. Increasing clouds this afternoon. A chance of snow flurries. The high of 38. Light snow ending tonight. The overnight low 21. Mostly sunny skies tomorrow. The high 30. For Wednesday, increasing clouds. A chance of snow. Continued unseasonably cold. The temperature at the airport is 35 degrees at 1132. I'm Kendi Coster, and you're up to date on WROK. You've always been somebody who appreciates the history of Rockford Radio and ROK and ZOK, and uh, yeah. that, that's why it's wonderful what you and Liz are doing. Thank you. It's, it's really fun because it gives us a really, really cheap excuse for getting back together with people. Sure. Because if we said, hey, would you want to have lunch? They go, no. We don't want to. <laughs> I'm no. not driving two hours. Well, yeah. well, when they say, well, would you come in and talk a little bit? Right. Oh, that I'll do. Sure. I can look at bumper stickers and jackets from 1970s. Do you remember when you, they pulled all of the typewriters out of the newsroom and you had to work on word processors and Audrey had to teach you guys how to run computers? Does that stick in your head at all or do you just delete it? No, I do remember that. Um I've always been a very methodical person, mm -hmm. not exactly one to embrace change. <laughs> and just the thought of technology intimidated me. Mm -hmm. The old IBM Selectric 2 typewriters were such a comfort because, you know, back in the Stone Age, you know, from 1982 until, gosh, 1989, 1990, we were working with typewriters. Mm -hmm. And, and they, even then, it word processors, but we weren't hooked up to the internet. No, not at all. Yeah. And you remember they had a ball that had a larger than normal font. Do you remember that? Yeah, sure. Just a gigantic font. Yes. And it's like, well, I've never seen this before. Yeah, and you probably never will again right. <laughs> because you needed that big font for the news copy. Sure. Oh, man, that was so good. Hey, what was your, I guess, buffer? Because I think you're the other side of the fence from us being in the studio, the main studio being in the newsroom, you know, we were always looking across the window and throwing it to you guys, but I never understood the buffers that you guys either had or didn't have, that's why I'm asking you, between the newsroom and programming or the newsroom and the sales department. Did you guys sort of coexist in your own little cocoon? That was one of the wonderful aspects of Vern Nolte, the owner, who was such a brilliant man, such a successful man, and one of the reasons why he was so successful is because he recognized the importance of letting his employees flourish on their own, have autonomy, and I mentioned Bob Pressman being the news director when I was hired. Vern Nolte let Bob Pressman run the WROK News Department because Vern Nolte knew Bob Pressman had the brains and the talent to run a very productive and successful news department. And another one of the great attributes of Vern Nolte, he was a, uh, a staunch conservative, supporter of Ronald Reagan, but he welcomed employees who said, Mr. Nolte, I understand your point of view, but how about this? Or how about this opposing point? Vern Nolte loved being challenged and loved dialogue. Now, did you see that mainly when you went into his office for the editorial yeah, board? Yeah, we had editorial board meetings, I, I want to say, on a, like a Wednesday morning. I forget when they were. But um, 
and we discuss topics of of the day, be they national, international, or local topics. And let's let's have a dialogue and let let let's form a consensus as to how we want to the, the slant we want to take for our editorial, which ran once a week. Did everybody contribute? Yeah, possible like, topics. Uh, oh, sure. Oh, uh, wow. Uh, uh, Dave Salisbury. Uh, Ron Galina, uh, Vern Nolte, Bill Phillips, Bob Pressman, just, it, it was great. Wow. And then we'd form a consensus, okay. even though it was not unanimous. <laughs> uh, and then we'd, uh, either Bob or when he left, I was the news director, and I'd type up the, uh, the editorial. Vern would look at it and okay it or suggest changes or mandate changes. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Ron Galina rest his soul, would, uh, Ron had a great voice. He had, he just had a great editorial voice and he, yeah. and we'd run the editorial. So well, do yeah. I remember that? Yeah. And, uh, I, I never knew whether Ron did it at one cut or not. I wasn't Most really sure. Most of the time. You didn't yeah, really? He was, he was a one take guy. Was he really? Right. Wow. Ron, Ron was, uh, Ron was great. Wow. Who do you remember coming into the studio, whether it be, you know, like Lee Hartsfield for B. Sandfield or... B. Sandfield. Yeah. <laughs> Roses, yeah. Al Grace, Al Grace, he Al, used to Al Graceffa, yeah, and yeah. Uh, Dale Gustafson used to come sure. in all the time, right. and, and Chuck Jackson for Crime for Stoppers. Crime Stoppers, sure, wow. Do, do you remember a a very memorable person coming in, or a celebrity coming in that sticks? Sure, I remember, and this was more ROK programming um, and not news, but uh, and I'm sure Doug uh, McDuff remembers this, Donnie Osmond. He did came, mention that. Yeah, came into the studio at least once, I want to say twice. And I remember Donnie Osmond being a wonderful, humble, mm-hmm. uh, kind mm-hmm. young man. This was probably ni- early to mid-1980s. So Donnie Osmond would probably have been, I don't know, late 20s, 30-ish or so. But obviously a huge star. Yeah. And he... Couldn't have been nicer. Also, I remember Lily Tomlin, who came in the studio. Uh, I think Doug interviewed her as well. A lot of my encounters with celebrities and politicians occurred outside the building. 1990, down in Nixon, uh, Ronald Reagan, who would have been a former president at this time, okay. he spoke to the student body at Dixon High School, where I believe he attended high school. Yes. Uh, he grew up in Dixon. Mm-hmm. Um, after, I hope I can do this justice, one of his <laughs> lines was, and Ronald Reagan was just such a kind, grandfatherly guy. He said to the, to the student body, um, well, in the words of Henry VIII talking to one of his wives, I won't keep you very long. <laughs> And I thought that was a great line. You know, <laughs> Ronald Reagan speaking, everybody laughed. But after he spoke, Ronald Reagan and his entourage went out to the football field at Dixon High School. And Reagan had to be 82 years old, still in, in very good shape, playing catch, throwing the football with a couple of Dixon High School kids. And I am literally standing next to Ronald Reagan, as close as I am with you right now, Tim, uh, interviewing him while he's playing catch. And one of the biggest professional regrets, you know, this is before cell phones and cameras and stuff, is I I didn't have any any pictures of this uh, wonderful opportunity 
I had. With, well, you know, when, when people do that, that's in their DNA. Yeah. That is just as deep as can go. Right. Uh, is there somebody else that sort of sticks out like that that was more of a, not a politician, but more of a celebrity? Mine is like the Bob Hope sure. of, the, of the world. Yeah, well, back in the, the days of the Rockford Pro-Am, mm-hmm. uh, Bob Hope uh, came to Rockford twice in 1982 and 1984. I never had a chance to meet him, but I did have a chance to meet George Burns. Uh, there was a press conference for George Burns, and I, th- who was the, there was a woman who was with George Burns in her, I, I, I can picture her, but I, I don't remember her. Uh, anyway, I got a chance to meet George Burns at this press conference and put together a story. Uh, I got a chance to meet at Rockford Country Club, Andy Williams. Oh, my. Um, I don't know if it was my line of questions or <laughs> he was very short and, 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 and succinct. And I, 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 th- I don't know if, if he was having a bad day, um, but I just remember it was kind of like pulling teeth to get Andy Williams to uh, to respond to my questions. So was he short with you? But I'm bummed. Thank yeah. you very much. <laughs> you know, I think he's sort of like Neil Sedaka. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I know Neil Sedaka, but I've never met him. Yeah, Neil Sedaka is a short stature. Okay. And I also remember Chichi Rodriguez being there at sure, that pro am, sure. and Linda Carter. Yeah, I don't know that I met. I know I met Chichi Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. I didn't meet Linda Carter. I met Arnold Palmer, who came to Rockford in 1986. Oh gosh, there was the pro am in those days oh. would get some A list oh, yeah. talent. Oh yeah. Uh, Steve Lawrence and Edie Gourmet. Um, I think so John Denver came in. John one Denver, time. definitely. Yeah, yeah, I met John Denver at Rockford Country Club. Wow. <laughs> it's crazy. Foster Brooks, who I think Doug and uh, his partner Dan Willis interviewed. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, just some great, great talent back you then. You know, Doug was mentioning that they went up to the wagon wheel for okay. some kind of a corporate something sure. that they hired them to be MCs. Sure. And who was the keynote speaker that they sat at his table and had a really good conversation with all night was Paul Harvey. Wow. Yeah. Never knew that. Of all, of all the stories that Doug McDuff tells me over the years, sure. had never had that one. I never had the pleasure of meeting Paul Harvey, but I certainly admired his talent. He was a great oh, storyteller. Yeah. I have a, a, a small Paul Harvey story. Uh, in 1979, you know, of course, I'm 19 years old. We want to see how everything's done in the big city. Sure. And so Mary Myers and I, we worked at WFRL in Shreveport. We went into Chicago, and we called up WBBM, WLS, WMAQ, and WKQX and said, hey, can we come in and sort of see the lights and the buttons and see how it's done? Sure, come on. So we go to the Stone Container Building, which is where WLS was. Uh-huh, and my dad used to work there. And that's did he really? What did he, he do? He was in sales for WLS for uh, in the 70s. Come on. Uh, Oh, he was. I, I went to the Stone Container Building as a child. Oh, my. Yeah, uh, at Michigan Avenue and Wacker Drive. Yeah. That's part of why I got to be a radio geek. Uh, got a chance to meet Clark Weber, Larry Lujak, people like that. Wow. Yeah. Well, we were upstairs at the downtown Burger King, right. as John Landecker would say. Right. And the uh, security person says, I think you people have the wrong building. He says, no, our names are so-and-so and so-and-so. We're going up to meet so-and-so at WLS. Yeah, yeah, you're on the list. Okay, fine, go ahead. So we get in the elevator, and of course there was Jam Productions and sure. WLS and okay. Paul Harvey yeah. on those respective floors. We had gone up maybe two floors, and the door is open, and who steps in is Paul Harvey. Wow. Yeah. So he goes, 
you know, he's looking at these 19-year-old kids going, what are you doing in this building? And we told him, he says, can I give you some advice? And I go, well, of course you can. He says, whatever they tell you, doesn't matter what they tell you. Never give up. Wow. Never. I go, oh, thank you. Very nice. He steps out of the elevator. He turns and he goes, good day. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, are you kidding me? That was perfect. And then we and then we went up and there was wow. Larry Lou Jack in Studio A and Tommy sure. Edwards. And I mean, it's one of those moments. It's sort of like your Ronald Reagan moment. Uh-huh. I don't have any evidence of this. Yeah. None. Right. Nothing. And of course, then. You know, you sort of worry that it would be inappropriate to do some of those, hey, can I have your signature? Sure. Because you're just so caught up in the moment. But, right. yeah, that's my Paul Harvey thing. Okay. Yeah. I, I digress here, but you mentioned Lou Jack. During his days at WCFL, mm-hmm. this would have been mid-'70s, uh, I was a teenager, just an avid CFL and LS listener, and Lou Jack was a star mm-hmm. at WCFL. Mm-hmm. And another jock that they had who was doing nights, Big Ron O'Brien. I don't know oh, if you... I remember the okay. name. Big Ron was just this high-energy, great jock. And I think at 8 o'clock every night, he'd say, Cowabunga, 8 o'clock in the nighttime on WCFL. <laughs> and so probably 1975 or 76, I was a senior in high school. And a buddy of mine named Mike Cronin, who was also a radio geek... He booked an interview at, C- at Marina City with, with Larry Lujak. We did this as like a class project for whatever speech class we were in at Loyola Academy. So Mike and I went downtown to Marina City to interview Larry Lujak, and I happened to see Ron O'Brien was there in you know midday. I don't know if he was doing whatever stuff he had to do. And I saw Ron O'Brien, and I'm like, Cowabunga, Ron! And O'Brien looks at me and says, "Yeah, good morning." And then walks away. I'm like, I mean, I was genuinely starstruck by yes. Big Ron O'Brien. And yeah, good morning. Yeah. yeah anyway, whatever. can't be bothered. Right, 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 oh, right. Hey, do you remember uh, playing on the WROK and WZOK softball team? Uh, vividly, sure. Do you? Absolutely. Vividly. Does that yes. mean there was an injury involved? No, or? no, no. It was. This would have been <laughs> like 1986. Uh, it, you and Riley and Jerry Heckler and Rick Carner, Spiff Dingle, uh, Chris Clark, uh, Joe Larson, uh, your now brides, uh, Sandy. Yes. Yeah, and there is a picture that you have here that uh, was taken all those years ago. And it, it was, we had a very close knit staff mm-hmm. you know we had fun and you were good i think i took it seriously back then do you still have your uniform if i do i can't fit in it <laughs> <laughs> you know as, as serious as, as a news guy you are you laugh a lot off newscasts sure and that was the thing where people tried to break you up yeah and Gosh, they just and mcduff could always break me up i know but Mc... most of us could not yeah, yeah. So in the newsroom, did you guys ever try to break each other up, or is it always the on-air people trying to get the newsroom? I think it was more of the on-air people, especially Doug, (laughs) trying to get Fred, Spear, me. I think Bob Pressman was just so serious that you didn't want to, even though he had the Mr. Baseball alter ego. He did. And and Bob, actually Bob, since he retired, uh, has done some stand-up comedy. Bob really? is oh Bob is a very funny man. Yeah. But when he was news director at WROK, 
He just had the serious persona that uh, I think a lot of people felt uh, was uh, were, were put off by that. Yeah, or, by Bob, ser- you know, very serious. Yeah, thinking like you're off limits. That yeah, type yeah of thing. right. That, yeah. that that he was. Well, you not, know, he had a department to run. Right. Yeah, but I'll tell you, when he flipped that switch with Bill Phillips, right, Bob and, and Bill, he, he was Mr. Baseball. Right. And they would take calls. Of course, there was no predicting what these calls would be or what they would ask. Sure. He would nail it every time. He's a walking encyclopedia. To this day, he still gets together at White Sox Park or Cubs Park with five or six WROK alumni, like Lisa Fielding and Jim Mulvaney and those guys. Right. And they just have a great time at the ballpark. Jeff Wicker, Joe Soto. Yes. Did Jeff Wicker ever crack you up? You know, I remember him laughing a lot. So maybe it was Fred, but I was sure it was you. It was probably Fred because John Strandon was Jeff's uh, newsman, you know, mornings on ZOK. And then when John was on vacation, Fred would use, usually uh, fill in. I occasionally worked with Jeff, but one, one thing I appreciated about Jeff, Jeff was always genuinely interested. He was a great interviewer mm-hmm. because he would listen to what his subjects would would tell him. Jeff was genuinely curious uh, and had just a wonderful, appealing, endearing uh, sense of humor. Jeff was uh, genuinely a good man. Cool. Uh, and he's always been that way. And and he's <laughs> he's even yeah. You know, I see his uh, his posts on social media. He's always got a smile on his face, uh, and he was uh, very approachable. And I. I We'll always love Jeff Wicker. He was uh, just a great guy to uh, to work with. Even though we didn't work closely together, we were in the same building. But uh, you know, I was in ROK doing news, and he was doing mornings on ZOK. Yeah, it yeah. was a beehive. It, yeah. really was. it really was. Everybody Kristen crossed and all kinds. Right. You know, yeah, you know, you knew Greg Lackner or you knew yeah. Ron Galena, right. but everybody was just crissing and crossing. But I think Vern Nolte, and then later on John Nolte. They knew the importance of that bond, and they would have parties yeah. or wine sucks right. or gatherings or whatever right. that kept that bond. And I think that's why, like, for instance, Wicker is at, uh, what, Mix 108 in Richmond, Virginia? I think that's why, because there was original glue. Back in the, uh, in the Vern Nolte, Dave Salisbury days, there was such a feeling of being appreciated mm. by management. Uh, this... You know, radio is just no nothing like it was, and I, I hate to keep going back to you know when I was young and all this, but it's true. Back in those days, you know, this is pre-internet. Uh, when Fred Spear, radio news legend, was literally on call twenty-four-seven, three-sixty-five, mm-hmm. back before social media, before the internet. This community relied on Fred Spear to tell them what mayhem is going on on the west side or what horrific traffic crash is happening at Alpine in Newburgh. Or Fred was there all the time. And there was no shortcut for your news department. No. If you were going to cover something, right. you couldn't jump on and see what's going on. Right. No, you had to be there and right. report on it. And, of course, you know, he had the news car and he had – the fire outfit, you know, so he could <laughs> go. The fireman outfit, he, could, yeah. he could run right into the blaze if he wanted to because he had the outfit. There were times when I, I could always tell Fred would get to the news department, the newsroom first. 
probably 2, two o'clock, 2.30 in the morning. <sighs> then John. And I would show up probably five-ish or so. And I could always tell uh, most days or some days, Fred was alert and hair combed and sweater and shirt and, and it, morning Fred morning Kenny how's it but there were days <laughs> yep, yep. when Fred had been at a fire and then had to go to a shooting and, and had been going for for 18 or 24 hours where he looked just bedraggled and frankly there were times when he'd smell like like a fire <laughs> and, and, and I'm like okay Good morning, Fred. Good morning, Kenny. And that poor guy. But he was so dedicated oh, yeah. to his craft. Oh, yeah. And uh, he, he kept up that pace for 45 years. But yeah, you know what, Ken? I think you're dedicated to that craft, too, because I remember times when there would be news stories and you would continue them. I mean, they, they're not just one-time deals like we sometimes sure. get now. It would be a continuation, maybe a court case or sure. something else that would go on and sure. go on and go on. And sure. it was always there and detailed. Because I, I learned from Strandon mm-hmm. and Fred and Keith Larson and Wes Bleed and Bob Pressman. And I'm also proud to say, and I think I mentioned to both of you, it's fun. I, w- I was naive, and I remember running into a, a Register Star reporter who happened to be a woman who said, what's the deal with ROK News Department? You're all white men. Oh, yeah. Um, yes. Uh, I, guilty. And it, 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 seriously, and <laughs> yeah. it, it did not occur to me Mm-mm. that, but when I was news director, I hired, to my knowledge, the first woman to be a part of the news team. Her name was Karen Wood. And she was there a short time. I hired the first uh, African-American, a guy named Tony Perkins, not the actor, but but (laughs) Tony Perkins, uh, a a black guy who was a very good reporter. He went on to Milwaukee. uh, But I have also hired, or I I did hire, Mary Dixon, Mm -hmm. who went on to Chicago. She's still in Chicago, been doing Chicago radio for 30 years. I hired Lisa Fielding, who has had great success at WBBM for, I think, 16 years now. I am proud that I had the opportunity to bring these talented people, in this case uh, women, on board, and they clearly, uh, their talent uh, is... uh, is very evident because they've gone on to do great things in Chicago radio. And for a long time. For a long time. Yeah, right. not just Mary, a flash in the pan. Mary worked for years at WXRT uh, doing morning news with Lynn Bramer, and she has since gone on to WBEZ, a fabulous public radio station in Chicago, and she's done well. She's Mary is... Uh, uh, we don't talk often, but every once in a while, we've got that bond where uh, we know some of the the jokes we used to yeah. <laughs> tell, tell each other back in 1989, 1990. Joke number 14, right, and then right, you just right. laugh, yeah. And Lisa Fielding is another one. Lisa, after she she left ROK to work at Channel 23, WIFR. She did, yes. Uh, and then she went to Madison and Milwaukee and then in Chicago. And Lisa will tease me and Joe Soto that we tell the same <laughs> damn stale jokes whenever we get together we, she, you guys only know like five jokes and well, yeah guilty and I, there's I, nothing wrong yeah, with right that. right no so. i think that joe soto at v103 and lisa fielding at wbbm and mary at wbez 
and Lisa Dent at WGN. Right. I think all of those guys do the afternoon show, and three out of those four that I mentioned are tied for first wow. for afternoons in Chicago. Right. Lisa Dent and I, uh, again, she was on ZOK, uh, in, I want to say early to mid-'80s. Mm-hmm. Um, great, great person. Great talent. Energy. Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, Kathy Hart was another one who had great success uh, at uh, the mix. And even, I remember, it, it, you know, Eric Ferguson, who had a very – he had quite the downfall on uh, on the mix with all these allegations about um, uh, sexual harassment with some of his female coworkers. And it's 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 sad to say, but uh, I remember him on ZOK uh, back in the early 1990s. He uh, and he and Kathy Hart worked together at the mix for 20 years, I think, wow. and then she left, and it's wow. You know, know, when you're talking about being in touch with people for a very, very long time, Sure, I still talk on a pretty regular basis with Kelly Ryan. Wow. Is she still in Minneapolis? Minneapolis area. Yep. She went up to work for, I think it was Light 102. Sure. And, you know, she's got one of those contagious laughs. She does. You know, when we get together at a party or something, I mean, she's just hilariously funny. Johnny Marks is another one. Sure. And you just have those contacts. Right. I had planned on... Uh, going down to Atlanta and seeing like maybe 12 people. Some were family, some were radio, some were high school. Mm-hmm. And of course, COVID shot that in the foot. Sure. So I'm trying to get that together again. But believe it or not, those people that I was going to see would be Spiff Carner, Randy Osborne. Sure. Yeah. And he was against you in news at WYFE. And also Tony Clyburn, who is wow. in Columbia, South Carolina. I remember Tony. So we're trying to herd those cats because wow. we talk. Yeah. But we just haven't seen each other for decades. Sure. And it's priceless, not only because you share that connectability, but it's easy when you get back in the room together. Sure. Yeah. That just as you mentioned, the memories come flowing back. Mm-hmm. What's the most memorable interview or story that you covered? Oh, gosh. Over the years, there's been so many. Um were you around in 84? I was in Charleston, West Virginia. Uh, okay. There was a three-week-long Rockford public school teacher strike that uh, d- really disrupted the start of the school year for three weeks. It just, it was bitter. The teachers would not cave in to what the school board did, you know, was, was offering them, and uh, I remember when it finally ended, it, it's, you brought up Kelly Ryan, I was reporting from the old school district administration oh, yeah. building on South Madison Street, <laughs> yeah. which is now gone, and it's torn down. And Bob Pressman was anchoring this newscast, and Kelly Ryan said, uh, you know, it's 12 noon at WROK, and, and Bob Pressman is here with the news. And, Bob, I think there are a lot of parents out there who are saying, thank God. And Bob's like, Kelly, that's right. We have a, an agreement that will end the three-week-long Rockford teachers' strike. Let's go over to the school board administration building with Ken DeCoster. And I just remember Kelly Ryan saying to Bob, a lot of parents at this point saying thank It was the longest teachers' strike in District 205 history. It took place in September of 1984. And again, this is pre-internet, you know, yeah, yeah. where right, people right. were relying on radio and TV 
for news. For, for news. So do you think that you scooped the other stations on that story? I, I don't know if I scooped anybody at that. I don't know if any of the radio stations were at, doing reports at that time. I'm sure the TV stations were doing reports. But uh, And the other thing, you know, this gets back to Fred Spear. Uh, and this is prior to my time at WROK, but it was a triple R. Uh, and everybody who's been around knows this story. The day that Ray Lee Stewart escaped mm-hmm. from the Winnebago County Courthouse. Mm-hmm. It was April 22nd, 1982. And uh, he had already been convicted of the murders of a Rockford grocer named Willie Fred and Willie Fred's nephew, a guy named Albert Pearson. Uh, and I went to school with Albert. Did you really? Yes. He, he's an Auburn guy? Yeah. Okay. So it was painful. It, it, the killings were in January of 1981. Ray Stewart had been convicted in January of 82 of the murders of Albert Pearson, or uh, yeah, and, and Willie Fred, and he was on trial for uh, the murder of a gas station attendant named Kevin Kaiser, who I believe was an East High School kid, literally like 17, 18-year-old kid. Ray Stewart killed him. And the jury returned a guilty verdict there. So they were in the sentencing phase of, of, of Stewart's second trial. And during a break in the action, Stewart somehow managed to run out of the courthouse. And he was shot by a, a deputy named Jim Kraut, who would later go on to do Crime Stoppers. And while he, I think it was shot in the shoulder, uh, and but he, he kept running. So t- Tim and Liz, for about an hour in downtown Rockford that afternoon, there it was bedlam. Yeah, because you had no idea yeah. where he went. Yeah, we, we, is, did he get a gun somehow? Is, is, was he armed? I was working for Triple R at the time, but I was at the courthouse. And uh, literally running to a payphone to phone in the report. But Fred, Fred Spear had a two-way radio. Oh, wow. And Fred, because he had just this great intuition, he happened to be literally right where uh, uh, Ray Stewart was, was hiding in an empty 55-gallon mm. drum in some alleyway in downtown Rockford. And... There is, I, I don't know if anybody has the audio anymore, but mm-hmm. there is Fred Spear radioed into, I think Doug was doing afternoons, Doug McDuff, and Wes Bleed was doing the afternoon uh, anchor. Uh, and so let's go out to downtown Rockford where Fred Spear reports Ray Lee Stewart has been captured. And you can hear all these sirens and this, 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 uh, this chaos going on in the background. And Fred, he's right in front of us now. He, his shirt is, is stained with blood. He was injured. Uh, he was shot inside the courthouse, but he's being led away to, uh, to a police van where he's being taken into custody. And it was brilliant. Yes. On the scene reporting mm-hmm. from Fred Spear. And Fred didn't have fear sort of if he saw something like if he suspected something in an alley right he would charge into right. it oh no yeah you're, you're, 
and there is, I, I wish I still had this picture. There is a picture of Stewart, Ray Stewart, with the bloodstained shirt being led away by a couple of cops. And in the background, you see Fred Spear speaking into his two-way radio. That just right behind Stewart. Wow. It, just a great picture. Wow. Yeah. Wouldn't that be in the Rockford Register Star archives, you know, on microfilm? Yeah, or probably something? would be. Yeah. Wouldn't you think? Yeah. Wow. On what, Tim? Microfilm. Microfilm. <laughs> okay, we're old. We're old. <laughs> That was Funny thing is, though, I, right. I understand what you're talking about. That's, That's a Fred sad. Flintstone term. Right. <laughs> um, I always thought of the news department as sort of being phone a friend because you guys have all this knowledge. I mean, you have already today fired off these dates and sure. times. Sure. I don't know if it's a photographic memory. I don't know if it's just your training, but you know it's what? phenomenal. I, I've always been kind of a geek when it comes to dates like years, and I like to kind of categorize things or file things away in, in my brain as to, well, I joined WROK in 1982, and, um, you know, Bill Phillips did mornings, and I, I, I've already, just, here's what was going on at that time. Man Mountain Walker was doing mornings on ZOK, and Jim LaBelle, and Tim Fox had just replaced Dallas Cole as program director. When I joined the stations, that's what was going on, and I, I, have always been keen on remembering dates. It's your filing system of yeah, some sort. Yeah, sure. You know, there's a question that popped up with people, uh, and it doesn't matter whether it's Roger Peters or Steve Summers. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter who. If you had the opportunity to step back into a studio, either with or across from somebody, dead or alive, sure. who would that be? Who would you want to be on the air with again? Boy, a lot of names come to mind. John Arthur, the morning guy on uh, ZOK, was brilliant. Great radio guy. Rick McLaughlin, mm-hmm. who, in a, you know, he was hired at WROK as a newsman in November of 83. He did, in the spring of 85, a perspective, a radio series on the end of the Vietnam War, which was 10 years prior to kind of a 10-year look back at the Vietnam War and interviewed some local, Doug Logan, former Metro Center general manager who served in Vietnam uh, and some other veterans. And Rick's, Rick was a perfectionist. He probably is the most talented radio newsman I have ever met. Well, and there was a lot of talent yeah, that he had very right, deep in right. off-air to R- stuff, too. Sure. Um, but Rick's series on the Vietnam War and its impact on some Rockford veterans was brilliant and award-winning. So Rick is definitely on the list. Uh, he's been gone since 2009. I still keep in touch with Riley O'Neill. Riley is, uh, who still does mornings on WROK, one of the quickest, wittiest, smartest radio people I've, I've met in my years. You know, I'd love to kick it around with, with Riley again. Just, you know, Strandon and I worked side by side. Um, we mentioned Jeff Wicker, who was such a great morning guy on ZOK. Did you ever know Randy Cook? Yeah. Did Randy you? was there um, on ZOK. I want to say 86, 87-ish. 
So again, I was more ROK-ish, uh, you know, doing news. Uh, but I, you know, I remember Randy and Spiff. Randy was Randy and uh, Riley O'Neill were really good friends. Oh, didn't so, know that. Yeah. Oh, sure. They were really good friends. Yeah, I still, I knew Randy. I didn't know him well. I knew Spiff, Rick Carner a lot better than I knew Randy, but certainly I knew Randy, sure. Yeah, Spiff or Rick Carner is probably one of the most creative people I've ever run into. Brilliant. He's unbelievable where you could look at a purple cup and all of a sudden yeah. it's like, I don't see that. And of course he comes up with some kind of a joke. It's like, how does your mind work? Sure. And the other one is Dallas Cole. I never got a chance to oh. meet Dallas. I, oh. I know he's been... I could, uh, a, a, a huge success over the years. I could spend days talking with Dallas Cole because he's one of those guys that when he walks in a room and he's trained himself to do this and he trained others around him to do this too. When you walk in a room, you come out with as much as you can, which sure. is sort of like a police training. You right. know, you look at absolutely everything. And we were in a promotions meeting one time, which was very rare that it was ROK and ZOK. Sure. And he said... Uh, what did you notice? And he's pop quizzing Steve Summers and I, and Charlie Quinn was there, mm -hmm. and Kipper McGee was there, and he had this list. I was like a scroll of all the things that he noticed. And of course, we're young pups. We sure. didn't see half of that stuff, and that was part of the learning process. Sure. You know, when you go in, here are your opportunities, take advantage of them. And, and, and God, plus, that was so good. Dallas Cole is responsible for arguably the most iconic, memorable radio promotion in Rockford history, the successful petition mm -hmm. to bring uh, some British band <laughs> named the Rolling Rocks, Rolling Stones, <laughs> led yeah. by Mick uh, Jagger, Jager. to Rockford, to the brand, the, the, the Metro Center, as it was called back then, was literally less than a year old. When the Stones came to Rockford, October 1st, 1981. Mm -hmm. That is one date that I do have in my sure. head. Yeah. Opening act? Uh, boy, not the Go-Go's. Bingo. Was it really? Yes. And the Go-Go's, Belinda Carlisle and the Go-Go's, that was like their, their breakout year. Uh, the Beauty and the Beat, Our Lips Are Sealed. Yes. Uh, yes. I mean, they were huge. Yes. And they opened for the Rolling Stones. I didn't go to the show. I didn't have tickets, but I, I was outside. I, again, I was at Triple R at the time before my days at WROK. But I remember being in the parking lot east of the Metro Center, and all the Chicago media oh, was out. I mean, this was oh. the Rolling Stones yeah. in Rockford, Illinois, mm -hmm. and Dallas Cole was responsible for that. I don't know if Doug McDuff has told us this privately or if, if it was actually when he was in here, but he said that unannounced— Bob Surratt came into WROK wow. to interview, it should have been Dallas Cole, about the Rolling Stones coming, and Dallas was out to lunch. Well, there's no cell phones, there's no pagers, sure. there's no right. nothing back then. Right. And he goes, well, just, you know, I drove in from Chicago, give me somebody. So McDuff comes out, <laughs> and who had nothing to do with it, and he talks with Bob Surratt from WLS, and of course, Dallas gets back, and he goes, What? He talked to who? And, of course, it was all timing, and I thought Dallas was going to lose his shit. <laughs> and I, I just have visions of Doug. Speaking of great talent. Oh, yeah. I mean, Doug, come on. Yeah. But Doug, <laughs> not necessarily detail-oriented. No. 
Uh, yeah, that, and that's why I thought it was important to bring uh, 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 Paul McCartney and the Rolling Stones to. Uh, <laughs> or, no, 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 not Paul McCartney. I've got. Roger Daltrow. No, I don't, I don't know. What, what, one of the. Uh, Jagger. I can't remember his first name. Yeah, just, that would be perfect. Yeah, right. exactly that would be it. exactly right. it. Right. Oh, right. God, that's funny. Um, do you have um, uh, any story from the engineering department? Um, Jack Lambiot. Yes, love him. I love him too. He's the and, best. and speaking of bonds, Jack and Riley and John Nolte will will forever have this bond. We traveled to Australia in May of 1988. We were uh, there was a World's Fair, uh, a worldwide expo in Brisbane, Australia, in 1988, and somehow the Australian equivalent of the Rockford Area Convention and Visitors Bureau, some tourism bureau, reached out to radio stations, and John Nolte being John Nolte, is like, yeah, let's let's go out oh there. Oh, my gosh. So we traveled. We broadcast from Brisbane, Australia, for a week in May of 1988, and Jack, we needed Jack because he set us right. set us up. Right. How well I know. Uh, and John, uh, John Nolte was there uh, to chaperone, and uh, Riley and I— Riley, you know, I was the news guy, but it was more. It was like a morning show. Yeah, it was morning yeah. morning show, and uh, so I'll, I'll always. Jack was one of these people who, I'm I'm adult when it comes to technology, <laughs> and Jack just time after time would would. Oh. He, not only was he talented, but he was never, you know, condescending. He worked with the talent that needed. Uh, needed a lesson in technology and jack was just i haven't talked to him in a long time but uh, he'll he'll always be a friend uh marv beasley oh yeah who was uh i've always found engineers to be eccentric yeah big time quirky and, and yeah quirky yeah and to my knowledge marv and his wife pat i think they had lunch and dinner at the ponderosa on East State Street every day <laughs> for several years. I mean, just they'd go there twice a day. Why wreck it? Yeah, I just, <laughs> but I mean, now I'm somebody who is methodical, but a little variety in life. Come on, you go to the same place twice a day? I always remember that about Marv Beasley. Oh, man, yeah. that's funny. Yeah. Um, Marv Beasley was also that guy. He was sort of smirky. You know he knew something that he wasn't necessarily giving you all the information. Yeah. And, of course, he drew you in. Sure. And, of course, the more questions you asked, the sure. deeper you got in that mud puddle. Mm -hmm. And then he just gloated about it. He was just funny. It's like, yeah, I pulled right. you in, didn't I? That's what I remember about Marv. He was always smirky. Is he still with us? I or? don't know. I, I have. Well, we'll have to look him up and yeah. see if he can give us a story or There two. you go. I, I have no idea if Marv Beasley is still around. No, I, I mean, we've... Unfortunately, there's just so many people that we've, that we've crossed paths with that uh, are no longer with us. Mm -hmm. you know. Did you ever have a uh, newscast blooper? I, I'm sure I've stumbled over words, you know, many times. I don't know that I've ever said any, you know, sworn on the air. Yeah. Um, you knew when there was a live mic and when yeah, there wasn't. Yeah, for the most part, Um so I, I, I don't know that I've, I'm sure I've screwed up many times, but I, I nothing jogs my memory as to, as to some me memorable blooper. Did you ever have hiccups? 
Or uh, get a giggling fit? <laughs> giggling fit, definitely. Um, Fred Spear had uh, the hiccups doing news with Jeff Wicker on ZOK. Oh. And it's probably, I, I don't know if Jeff still has the, but Fred, you know, be this I, this classic newsman with his delivery, he kept <laughs> hiccuping and Jeff would laugh and laugh and and he and got Fred to laugh as well right wow did you ever have uh something that you because you're being the news person and you hear everything and you pick up everything did you ever have anything that you heard in the walls of the radio station that all of a sudden you go whoa I shouldn't have heard that or wow that's sort of a scoop to the entire staff you mean something internal that went on? Yeah, or? yeah. Gossip, Ken, gossip. Oh, gosh. Um, I'm sure there were some... Uh, uh, let me, I'll, I'll tell you one story, um, and it gets, it gets back to Fred Spear. Uh, um, we had a, by this time, probably early 90s, we had syndicated programming on nights and overnights on WROK, but we still had board operators to kind of babysit the, make sure the programming's still going on, the commercial's still going on. And this particular overnight board op, her husband or maybe boyfriend at that time was doing, was working at ZOK, and she was doing overnights, you know, board opping on ROK, and she had a few pops in her. She was, uh, she was, she was, more than tipsy, she was drunk. Oh, I think she had the role of, of introducing Fred Spear, and uh, she was slurring her words oh. and kind of trying to tease Fred. And Fred didn't want any parts of some young, intoxicated board op. Oh man, kind of encroaching on his professionalism. Oh, big time. And so I remember getting to the radio station that morning. And as I mentioned earlier, most mornings, hey, morning, John, morning, Fred, morning, Kenny. <laughs> this particular morning, after Fred had been putting up with this intoxicated Ooh. board op, I walk in, morning, Fred. He looks at me, I'm going to punch her in the nose. <laughs> I'm like, wow. That is not Fred. Yeah, he was... <laughs> ticked oh man and i i don't remember how it was resolved or if she was disciplined or let go or what, or what but uh it was fred was none too pleased wow yeah what is one of your favorite radio promotions that we did whether you went to an event like the rock river raft race chili sure. shootout stuff right. like that or a promotion that we did the the raft race was great but i i will always have fond memories of the chili shootout that was so much fun mm -hmm. And it was, I mean, just, and who knows, maybe radio promotions today still draw hundreds, if not a couple of thousand people. But every October, you know, God, I go back to the days where it was at, uh, wasn't it, was it at Rockford Memorial Hospital for a while? I or? remember the Speedway. Speedway's all I ever knew. I, it was at the Moose Club on, on North Main Street for a while in the late 1980s. Wow. Um, but anyway, just the, the promotion itself where, well, you know, dozens and dozens of contestants 
would, would make chili, and there's plenty of beer, <laughs> and and the ROK uh, personalities, you know, Doug and Riley and Bill Phillips, uh, you know, would get up on stage and maybe sing. Um, it, it was just wonderful. It was it was great. Uh, team building. Oh. It was great for the community. to. It, it really kind of, I, I think, endeared WROK to the entire community. I would agree. Do you remember sort of the lineup in this era of Kelly Ryan and Charlie Quinn and Johnny Marks? Sure. I have a recording wow. of all four of us. I can't wow. remember exactly who was back at the station, but you know, very seldom was Charlie Quinn on the air. Sure. He was doing a remote from the Chili Shootout, wow. and I have that that I could insert in this because wow. it was so much fun. Because Charlie was our boss. Sure, there's that sort of uh, camaraderie, <laughs> but yet, hey, I can only say so many things to my boss. Right. And it was a Chili Shootout, and everybody's beard up. Cast your vote because there will be a People's Choice Award, and all the WROK air personalities will be down here for two thirty, and the awards and ceremonies and things of that sort. And when you go around tasting the chilies, make sure you have a glass of Miller beer in the other hand, <laughs> or, or your mouth will burn out. <laughs> Never go around the tent starting tasting chili with only like a quarter cup. Never. <laughs> You'll die. There's one table. There's one chili contestant. They have a fire extinguisher. <laughs> Do come down if you can. We're under a tent. We don't care if it's raining. Come on down and join us for the chili shootout from WROK. Thank you, Kelly. So like y'all having a good time down there. Too bad some of us have to work. 113 at WROK with Roberta Flack. You know what? I, uh, I don't know if Charlie will remember this, but he was program director at WROK when I started there. And his on-air name, I think, was Chris Connors. I don't remember that. Well, anyway, for some reason, <laughs> Charlie Quinn asked me or instructed me, hey, I've got some dry cleaning at this particular cleaners. Could you go pick it up? <laughs> I'm like, okay. You know, my boss is telling me to pick up his dry, dry cleaning. So I went to this dry cleaners on South Alpine Road, just north of Harrison, south of Broadway slash Newburgh. Oh, I, 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 I can picture it. Right. While he told me to pick up his dry cleaners or dry cleaning, I'm like, do you have dry cleaning for Charlie Quinn? They're like, No. I'm like, um, for Chris Connors, maybe? No. I'm like, so I went back to the station. I'm like, I, he neglected to tell me that it was under his real name, Mark Combs. Oh, no. And so he's kind of ticked. Oh, I'm like, how was I supposed to know? I don't didn't know that was your name. No. And so anyway, he never call him that. Right. So I, I don't know if he's still. I'm I'm friends with him on Facebook. I should bring that up. But uh, 40 years ago, he sent me to pick up his dry cleaning, and I failed because it was under his real name, Mark Combs. Sorry about that, Charlie. Anyway, oh, God, I remember that's that. Funny. Especially with Charlie Quinn, because he's so stinking funny. And he yes, he is. hilarious. Yep. The only twist that I anticipated you saying is, yes, they did have uh, a pickup for Charlie Quinn, and it was dresses. <laughs> <laughs> or, or he didn't give me any money. I had to use my own money to oh, pay for it. Exactly. Well, no, that would be McDuff. Yeah, true. That would true. be McDuff. True. Wow. True. Anything else that you could add before we close this out? Because I'll tell you, this has been really fun. With it has been stories. fun. And I, I, Liz and, and Tim, thank you for doing this. I, I think 
it's human nature to romanticize about the past. Mm -hmm. And we were so much younger. And I'm sure there were bad times, but um, the good times trump the bad times. Thinking back of all of the people and the beauty of ROK and ZOK is the unbreakable bond. Mm -hmm. We will always have, you know, the stories and the memories. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And coming up in 2023 is the 100th anniversary of WROK. But I am, and Tim, I know you are, Liz, you're not old enough. Mm -hmm. But I remember vividly the 60th anniversary party for WROK at the old Clock Tower Resort in October of 1983. Wasn't that the Glenn Miller Orchestra? Yeah. Yep. Wow. They pulled out all the stops. Yeah. yeah. And and John Nolte. Was it John Nolte or was it Vern Nolte? Well, Vern was very much alive. Oh, okay. But I think John was key in planning. That John was great uh, mm-hmm. at throwing parties at throwing at planning events i still want to see his business card because i swear it exists that says john nolte vice president in charge of parties (laughs) because (laughs) he was the wine suck guy he was the remember carol pollack of course would get together and they of course they were just really good at wendy perks fisher is another one right they were really really good at it and when they partnered up with the promotions department oh it was magic and i a shout out to uh, to Jan Thorpe, yes, who who, who, who dedicated so many of uh, so many years of her life, and to uh, she was Linda Sisler when I was there. I think is it Linda Johnson? It uh, is. Okay, Linda was at ROKZOK for over fifty years. Think about it. Wow. Yes, and so talk about stories, and, and people tend to remember you know the folks on air, mm-hmm. but I you know a shout out to. Uh, to Linda and to Jan and to Audrey. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and he was never behind the scenes, Dave Salisbury. But Dave Salisbury, <laughs> speaking of characters, beneath his, he, he, was, he could be painfully direct. Oh, yes. Um, oh, to the yes. point where, ouch, Dave, man. <laughs> but Dave Salisbury loved the employee's who were there for a significant the employees that he bonded with, uh, and I, I am forever grateful to Dave Salisbury for the uh, for what he did for me over the years, and uh, I'm forever grateful to Vern Nolte. Do, do we have a time limit here? No, no, no not at all. Me, nope. It's a podcast. I brought we, something. Uh, we have no rules whatsoever. Good, good. And you know, I was going to say we mentioned Jan Thorpe. She is the one who would know more about the chili shootout as sure. to when it started and, and where the raft it was. Race. And the raft race, for sure. And yeah. what's, is the duck thing, is that part of the raft race? The duck? I think I know what you channel, mean. The, the duck drop the or, duck whatever, drop or yeah. whatever. Yeah. I think that I came can't later, remember. Maybe. Was that later? Yeah, I right. think so. I don't okay. recall. Not 100% sure. Right. Okay. I've got here in front of me something I've been saving for a long time. It's uh, a Western Union mailgram oh uh, from the White House. And it's uh, December of 1987, December 3rd, 1987. It's, a, it's addressed to Mr. Ken DeCoster, News Director, WROK Radio, Box 6186, Rockford, Illinois. And I thought, okay, is this a joke? Did some sales guy, did Dean Irvin come up with this <laughs> gag to try to... Well, uh, the date wasn't April 1st, was it? Uh, no, it was <laughs> in December of 87. December, so, okay. But I, okay. anyway... Uh, <laughs> 
and it reads, you are invited to an on-the-record briefing, including a question-and-answer period with President Reagan, Secretary of Defense Frank Carlucci, Senator Howard Baker, Chief of Staff, and Lieutenant General Colin Powell, National Security Advisor, on Friday, December 11th, 1987. The briefing will be on the INF Agreement and the Reagan-Gorbachev Summit, which had just taken place. So, you know, please plan to arrive at the 17th Street entrance of the old executive office building, blah, 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 blah. And so I'm like, I guess this is legitimate. So I brought this mailgram, which I have framed, into Mr. Vern Nolte's office. And I'm like, Mr. Nolte, um, <laughs> I just got invited to a, a, a briefing with President Reagan uh, in Washington. Where are you going to go, aren't you? I'm like, um, Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and he had John Nolte arrange the travel and the hotel in downtown Washington, D.C. Uh, I hooked up with our congresswoman at the time, Lynn Martin. Oh she gave me a tour of the Capitol. At the time, he was a U.S. Senator, Alan Dixon, uh, Congressman Bob Michael from Peoria. And then I think it was a Friday I attended the, uh, the briefing not in the White House, but in the old executive office building next to the White House with Ronald Wilson Reagan. Wow. Uh, and I think I even got a question in and just, uh, you know, just it was really one of the highlights of my professional career, just uh, going out to Washington and seeing Washington and D.C. And, and being given a tour of the Capitol. And the reason I bring it up is not to toot my own horn, but is to say this was another indication of how Vern Nolte ran his radio stations. Yep. Mr. Nolte, I've got this opportunity. Well, you better take it. Mm-hmm. And there was no, uh, how much is this going to no, cost no, no, me? No. And it, then let's make a decision. No, it's you need to go, and we need to figure out a way to get you there. Bingo. How did you get invited? Why did you I, get because this? Because he was there when he was throwing Football. <laughs> Remember? Dixon. No, that 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 happens. Uh, that happened a few years later. Ah, okay. But um, and that, Tim, that's a great question. I did. I I attended a few months prior, in the summer of '87, I believe. President Reagan held a news briefing at a hotel near O'Hare Airport, and I remember just on a whim thinking, I'm going to go. That's how they got my credentials. Uh. As they held a press briefing in Washington for some of the Midwest news reporters, and the, well, this Ken DeCoster with WROK in Rockford, he attended a press conference with President Reagan in June of 1987. Let's invite him and some other Midwest reporters to attend this briefing about the uh, the Reagan Gorbachev summit in December of 1987. Oh, that's that's awesome. how they got my name. Did you recognize any other people from the Midwest like from Chicago when you were out there? You know what? I don't recall who from the Midwest was out was in Washington reporting along with me, but uh yeah, I, I drew a blank as far as who else was out Man, there. What a cool thing. Yeah, it was it was great. Wow. Yeah. That's that's so that's is like awesome. <laughs> yeah. There's so. going to be very few people that can trump that. Not I'm just telling yeah. you. Yeah. So anyway. So, Ken, what are you doing nowadays? <laughs> I, I'm an exotic dancer. I, uh, <laughs> What's your dancer name? <laughs> your first pet and the street you lived on. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Mine would be Midnight Auburn. Yeah. Mine would be... <laughs> 
Chester Westwood. (laughs) 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 Sounds like my porn name. Hi, I'm Chester Westwood. Well, it is close. Yes. You know, uh, you know, Liz is not forthcoming uh, with hers. Oh, well, I'm trying to think of what my first pet's name was. It'd be <laughs> Troubles Magnolia. I, think. <laughs> <laughs> I am oh, a I uh, I'm a uh, journalist with the Rockford Register Star. I've been there four years, and it's uh, you know it's it's a grind. It's uh, it's you know, obviously the newspaper industry mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. at its. Uh, had its troubles, but uh, still plugging away. I'm, I'll be 64 next month, and uh, I'm blessed with a, uh, a wonderful spouse, Christina. Yes. Who makes a hell of a lot more money than I do. <laughs> uh, and I, you know, but I've, you both w- make some beautiful daughters. Yes, thank you. Uh, I've got a daughter who's a freshman at oh, Auburn High School. Ken, that can't be. Yes, Carrie Elizabeth, she's a freshman. Wow. And I've got a daughter who is a fourth grader. At Thurgood Marshall Elementary School, her name is Sophia. Hopefully, one of these years, uh, we, my family, will be in a position where I will, uh, I will retire and uh, play golf while my wife works. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a plan. Um, That's very good. So, anyway, um, I, I, I'm extremely fortunate. Be, I'm in reasonably good health. I've met some wonderful people over the years and um you know life is for the most part life is great good for you thank you wow thank you so much for coming in this has been fantastic yeah i I hope we get some other news people in here just to confirm your story well (laughs) uh uh, west bleed uh i think he still has family in rockford he does uh west was uh, i think he's doing pr now i'm not sure what he's doing he is you should try to Get in touch with Bob Pressman. Yes. Um, You've talked to Fred, right? Talked to Fred. Talked to John Strandon. So we're just trying to get some dates together. And it's you should get Lisa Fielding. She comes to Rockford every now and again. Lisa Fielding. I'm waiting for her to get back from Arizona. Yeah. So I've touched base with her, and we just need to coordinate dates. Lisa Fielding. I live vicariously through her travels. (laughs) We all do. She takes (laughs) trips everywhere. Mm -hmm. Trips a year, maybe. Phoenix, Florida, Europe, New York City. I mean, she's Vegas, all ve- she's yeah. and good, you know, good for her. And she knows how to do it. Yes, she does. And we can tell the people she hangs around with, the restaurants she goes to, the events she goes right. to. She's really good at it. Well, when you do it that often, why wouldn't you be? Right. Lisa, you're next on the list. <laughs> Lisa Fielding is. Um, we we mentioned John Nolte being a, a great party planner. Lisa mm-hmm. Fielding. It sounds trite, but a social butterfly. She knows everybody. Mm-hmm. She keeps in touch with everybody. I that she I I tease her. She was uh, born with the gift of charisma. Everybody. I mean, she is such a warm, friendly, uh, beautiful person. Yes. It's hard to keep up with her. Yes. Because she, she's always traveling. She's always on the go. So anyway, yeah, she I'm, did. She did a really nice. Uh, reunion, I guess you would call it, at Stone Eagle. Mm-hmm. It was not for WROK's 90th, because that was at Midway Village, but it was probably you know, five years ago, maybe? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And I was out of town. I had a business meeting in Denver, but man, did I hear so many good things about the way she put that thing together. It was very nice. And of course, Jimmy Vitality helped too. He's he's a wonderful man as yeah. well. Yeah. Can, one more? Yeah. Sure. Oh, gosh, right. Please. When Fred Spears' wife 
Joanne, lovely lady, passed away probably 12 years ago. Fred Spear reached out to me and, and said, Kenny, we, you know, I've lost my Joni. She, she, she paid. I think she had a really aggressive form of cancer, which took her, because Fred and Joanne were always out walking mm-hmm. yeah. in, in the ROKZOK area. Yeah, they live, Fred lives on Abbotsford still yeah, in, yeah. In, in that area. And Joanne was the picture of health, and it was really just shocking that, um, that she passed. Anyway, Fred asked me to reach out to a few people, including Aww. Dave Salisbury, mm. to you know, give him the bad news that, jo- that Joanne had passed. So I called Dave Salisbury's house, and Dave's bride, BJ, answered the phone. At this point, you know, he'd been struggling a bit with, with dementia, so I said, BJ, hi, it's Ken DeCoster. Is Dave there? Oh, no, you know, D- Dave's out right now. You know, I don't know if he's playing golf or where, where he was out. And I don't think he had a cell phone or anything like that. So would you please tell Dave that Fred Spears' wife, Joanne, passed away? BJ apparently wrote down, Dave, call Fred Spear. Ken DeCoster died. <gasps> oh, no. So, Dave comes home and sees this note and calls Fred. And, you know, Fred is in the early stages of grief. grief. And Dave, Freddie, yo, Dave Salisbury, yeah, Dave, Ken DeCoster died. And Fred says, DeCoster died? I just talked to him a half hour ago. How could Dave oh Salisbury God. scoop that story? <laughs> so anyway, I always Fred Spear told that story at Joanne's wake, oh my, and uh, or visitation. And to this day, you know, my posse, uh, Joe Soto, Lisa Fielding, Diane Drake, Sue Stevens, we all laugh about that great story. So I. <laughs> Whenever I see Diane or Lisa or so, you know, DeCoster's dead. I just talked to him a half hour ago. So that's that's one of the that's one of the classic stories. Anyway, when, when Fred comes in here, we're going to say, "Hey, have you seen DeCoster lately?" <laughs> and he'll have this look on his face, going, "He'll oh, remember that." Oh, yeah, about a half hour ago. He'll, he'll rem- oh, he'll that's funny. So anyway, Ken, thanks for coming. Thanks, in. Tim. Thanks, Liz. You're this welcome. has been really fun. We'll talk to you again. This is the Storyteller Studio. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Storytellers Studio in celebration of WROK Radio's 100th year in broadcasting.